Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to Wicked Discussions. I'm Mark Fischler. And I'm Ian Halter. We think it's time to have some hard discussions. When we say hard, we mean that we're going to have to listen and acknowledge that other people's perspectives are meaningful and therefore have a valuable piece of the discussion. If we're being faced with wicked problems, then we figured it was about time to have some wicked discussions. If there's a wicked problem facing the world, we plan to talk about it with civility and respect for all involved. So thanks again for tuning in. And now let's dive into this week's Wicked Discussion. So um, welcome back, everybody. This is our uh, first episode of Season 2 of Wicked Discussions. Really glad to have you back and listening with us. Um, how you doing, Mark? I am good. I'm excited. I'm happy to be back doing this with you, bro. And uh, I'm happy to kind of get on with things and start having a wicked discussion about some of the important issues that are the universe is facing right now. All right. Well, I think uh, one of the big problems that we're facing is our current political system. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of our earlier episodes we did last year was talking about how people can't talk to each other. Uh, people, we're, we are just so divided and, uh, and people are just saying such mean things about the other. And uh, there's just no way we can survive going on like that. Well, you know, right wing, left wing, bird ain't going to fly without both wings. No, no, no. And as we've said, everybody has a partial piece of the truth. And that we have got to come together and start to recognize that and, 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 and honor those partial pieces. And, not, and recognize that nobody's wrong 100% of the time, as we've said before. And... And so we want to model on the show that level of civility and respect and look at things from as many different sides as possible. So, you know, we're glad to be back. All right. So how are we going to do that today, Mark? Uh, so we've got Congressman Joe Walsh here, and he's a former congressman from Illinois and the great state of Illinois, the, the land of Lincoln. Uh, and he's running for president of the United States. And this is this is incredible because, you know, uh, Congressman Walsh is, he's not just one of the Democratic candidates of, you know, 15 that have been running. And, and I'm not taking anything out of respect from them, but he's actually running in the Republican primary. He's taken on a sitting president of the United States. That takes a lot of guts just to just to start out front uh, because that's, that's a lonely word. battle. That's one word, guts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I think you've been called a lot of other things too, haven't you? Yes. You know. Uh, so we're honored to have you on the show, and you know we want to we want to talk to you about <clears throat> some of the wicked problems you see. Why 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 are you doing this? Because I, I sense that you see some wicked problems going on. Yeah. in our country and that that might be motivating you so i'm going to stop and welcome to the show Joe. it's yeah, great to be here by the way it's it's great to be in person with the both of you i mean that thank you um and and, and at the top you mentioned how we're divided and uh, look i'm not a fan of the guy in the white house i think he's an absolutely horrible human being but think of how divided we were that we put him there Right. I, I mean, I love to say that Trump didn't divide us. We were divided before Trump. He's made it worse. But you guys nailed it. It's, it's, it's that inherent divide that put a guy in office who is such a divisive character. I think if the country can't figure out why he won, 
uh, I think we're in for a long, long, ugly battle. So what do you see then uh, in terms of, you know, that the, the, the Trump is really more of the symptom as opposed to the or, or no, he's he's a byproduct, excuse me, of the symptomatic problems. What do you what, what do you see? How do you what do you think we got to do to to solve this serious uh, yeah. divisiveness that we're facing. I, I think step one, and this is why I decided to run against Trump, I, I really do believe that step one is we need to remove him. I, I think he needs to be out of the picture and then then we get back, we try to get back to a place. Look, I'm a Tea Party conservative. I got elected in 2010. I went to Washington to raise hell. I was in fights every day with my Democrat colleagues and often my Republican colleagues. But generally, we were fighting about issues. Um, I want to get back to that place where Elizabeth Warren can be sitting right across this table from Joe Walsh with the two of you and we're, we're arguing about Medicare for all and, and how are we going to afford college. Um, but with Trump there right now, it's all just ugly, personal, political crap. Because um, I think that's all he's capable of. I think that's, and maybe you've heard me say over the course of the last couple of months since I announced, I, I'm raising my hand right now. I, I feel like I played a role in helping to put Trump in the White House. Yeah. Um, because I, in the midst of the fights over the last 10 years, there were times when I got ugly and personal. I think Trump's the worst iteration of that. We got to get away from that and get back into arguing about policy. Yeah. You know, I, I just want to kind of jump into that a little bit about the, what I hear from you is that there's been a, a, a lot of self introspection, self reflection. Yeah. And, uh, which has led to kind of an evolution of, of your own being and your own kind of expression of what you think uh, a genuine politician ought to be doing and, and approaching things. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe dig into that a little bit because I think <clears throat> it's important that people see that we all evolve. You know, I, I, I thank goodness I'm not the same person that I yeah. was 20, 25 years ago. And I, and I love that human, but you know, I'd like to think I've, I've evolved in certain ways. And I know, you know, we've talked about that a lot. I'm glad I'm not the person I was 25 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, brother. Me too, man. I'll tell you. So all joking aside, Joe, tell us a little bit more, tell our listeners a little bit more about that evolution for you. Um, I, uh, I, I adore this country. And uh, if, if I can ever come back in a life, I'd love to come back and just teach American history. Uh, my mom passed away five or six months ago, and she yeah. gave me a love for our founding fathers. And uh, there's always a part of me that believes in reincarnation, and there's a part of me that believes I was around during the revolution. Yeah. So when I got elected to Congress in 2010, I, I, I got really passionate and wound up primarily about the debt the fact that we're bankrupting both parties, future generations. Um, Obama was president when I got elected. And oftentimes, I'd go after Obama. Generally, I'm the issue of the debt or Obamacare or something. But there were times when I'd get personal in my attacks on Obama. Um, and, and in fact, there were times when I'd say, ah, Obama, he hates America. I'm sure I said that a couple times over the last 10 years when he was around. I've changed my tone because of Trump. Uh, 
you've got people on my side, the right now, who look at like AOC or Congresswoman uh, Ilhan Omar from Minnesota, and, and people on my side will say, they hate America. Uh, that's a bunch of bull. They just believe in different things than I believe in. Right. That's, that's, that's been an evolution in me. If, if, yeah. Again, if I had Obama right here next to me, I, I'd apologize to the president. You never hated America. We just believe in different things. Uh, Trump, because he's so horrible, has really woken me up and forced me to change my tone. Mm. I really haven't changed my beliefs much, right. but I, 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 I will not engage in ugly personal political attacks anymore. I just don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I value that. I appreciate that. I think, um, I think there's real wisdom in that approach uh, because, you know, on some level, uh, each, each human being has a certain level of dignity and, 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 and I happen to subscribe to the idea that we are, like Dr. King said, we're all interconnected, you know? So an injustice here is, impacts a justice, yeah. injustice there. So, you know, to demonize anybody on that front uh, is, is really kind of problematic. So I appreciate your journey. And I, and I get it. Look, again, I, I was part of the Tea Party class in 2010. Yeah. We went there to fight. And then I found myself on the radio the last six, seven years in that conservative media world and you know what it's like you man you get paid to be provocative and to sure. get a lot of clicks and a lot of retweets and there were times I got caught up into that and you yeah. want to be the one that says something outrageous now I listen to these guys and I just think oh my god did I sound that way right. but that's where we are today both sides but because Trump's in the White House we see it on the conservative side now it's really pronounced yeah yeah so I I kind of feel in a lot of ways that you're a model of what I think we all need to evolve to in terms of the political spectrum, whether you're on the left or the right, in that we need to have a civil discourse, a civil conversation, a serious conversation about the issues, about where we're going and why. And we can uh, disagree, but we can also start to kind of see where the other side is Kind of seeing the partial pieces of the truth you know like i've, I've always kind of seen uh republicans as as folks that are that see a lot of our problems are internal from the individual taking mm -hmm. a certain level of responsibility mm -hmm. and that the greater the level of responsibility the individual ought uh, should be able to take uh the greater they will be able to do good and then on the democratic side i see a lot of the time that they talk about things from a more systemic perspective that the system isn't fair to everybody. And I and I just personally think that both sides have truth to be told on that in that we instead of like just totally demonizing the other side, we've got to kind of see what those partial pieces are and maybe start to put some of them together. I don't know, Ian, what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I I'm actually frustrated with the fact that we are so polarized that it's either you're a liberal or you're a conservative. Yeah. Why can't I hold dual views on things? In some areas, I think that um, absolutely government should have no place meddling in my business as a free citizen. But other times, I feel that as a collective group of people, we could achieve much more and greater things working together. And so that's sort of that dual conflict of government. 
Here, uh, maybe here's, look, I'm, I'm challenging Trump because I think he's unfit. I think he's unfit because he, he's incapable of telling the truth. I don't care where your politics yeah, are. That's yeah. a problem. And he's, and we're seeing this with the Ukraine thing. He's incapable of putting the country's interest above his own. But maybe here's the best thing that'll come out of Trump is that he's waking a lot of people up. Mm. To the to the the issues you two are raising right now, he's getting a lot more people engaged in and involved. He's bec- he's getting a lot more people political. He's actually, I'm addicted to Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. You're beginning to see a change on Twitter and social media where people are. I've got people on the left and right are trying to find common ground. I think Trump is facilitating a backlash. Mm against the ugly divide. Yeah. And primarily he's waking people up. Because, I mean, when you scratch your head, how the hell did we elect this guy? Yeah. I think a lot of people over the course of the last three years have gone through that. Right. You know, it's interesting. I I brought this up with someone that was on the, the podcast last year. Um, and I'm, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. I, you know, if, if I was ever going to run for an office, I, I, I would say to myself, like, what would you do? How would you go about this? And, and like, what would you take positions on? And right. what I came down to thinking, and, and I found some folks that, that think similarly, is that I wouldn't be like, I'm pro this or pro that, but how I'm going to approach the issue. You following me there? So like, I'm going to, I'm going to actually approach this issue, issue in a civil side, kind of like what we're trying to model here right. in, in terms of our discussion. I'm going to I'm going, to, I'm going to approach this issue in a way that's going to be comprehensive. It's going to look at all sides. I'm going to be civil. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to see the equal dignity of people with different perspectives. And that's how I'm going to go about looking at whether it's climate change or the debt or all of these issues that are plaguing our society that we've got to take a good look at. Do you want to talk anything about some of the, you know, go for it. You know, Mark, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Look, I'm... When you sort of laid it out in that there are people who believe we should solve our own problems and people who believe we need to look more toward government, I'm certainly more the former. Right. Um, and, and when it comes to the Second Amendment and guns, I'm a big gun guy. And I will fight until my last breath to protect my right to uh, carry a gun. But if I go across the street to a to a dealer and buy a gun, I have to undergo a federal background check. Well, it just kind of makes sense to me. If I buy a gun online, why wouldn't I have to undergo the same background check? Or if I buy a gun at a gun show, why wouldn't I? And so there's, the, the, there's an issue where you've got strongly held people on both sides, and there could actually be a compromise on this thing we call universal background checks. Right. Um, you look at climate change. Again, generally people in my conservative media world, it's a hoax, it's a hoax, it's a hoax. And you got we got Trump in the White House saying it's a hoax. I know for a fact that most of the Republicans, the vast majority in Washington, D.C. right now, they don't believe it. it's a hoax. They're afraid to say that now with Trump around. But again, it, when Trump's gone, I think that's an issue where you can see Republicans and Democrats sitting down at the table and saying, we got a problem. Now, maybe we don't want to do AOC's thing where we got to redo all our industries within 12 years or we're going to all die. But let's figure out reasonable, rational ways to address the climate. 
So I think there are some issues yeah. where you can see that begin to happen. But I was going to tell you, if you were going to run for office, the yeah. first question you'd have to ask yourself is, you'd have to, everything you've done since you were 15 years old would become public. Right. You prepared for that? Right. That's the first question you got to ask yourself oh, right. whenever you want to run for office. Right. Uh, because again, our politics is so ugly. So you did this in high school. You smoked pot. Your brother was a drunk. You're, right. you, under, you, you, you were on meds. You were, I mean, it just, it gets so ugly. Um, when I first ran for Congress in 2010, I've never been a wealthy guy. I foreclosed on a condominium. Uh, that became a huge issue. Oh my God, Joe Walsh foreclosed. But everything that you've ever done since you were a sophomore in high school becomes public. Right, right. That's a shame. Yeah. Because a lot of good people, who would, who the hell would want to do that? Right. And, and it, it, but it's also a part of that is that we're kind of in this critical mindset. And so we're not in any way forgiving or trying to understand. We try to, we judge and we criticize. And, um, you know, I, I actually see, ironically, some pieces of the left that are very postmodern, which is a very critical kind of approach of looking at things that sometimes when you go to the extreme end of, of being critical, then you just lose all meaning in the process. Yeah. So, you know, what I, I, what I was going to say or ask you was, do you think something like term limits would, would be helpful? And, and, and here's why I say, because <clears throat> I see a lot of your, um, a lot of the folks that are retiring in the in the as yeah. Republicans, yeah. you know, have gotten out and then they speak out and they say, "This is crazy. What Trump is doing is just none of none, none of us really believe this stuff." But they only say it when they're out of office. And I wonder, would it help the dynamic at least maybe short term if we had something like term limits? I don't know. I'm just asking. So when I was in Congress, the second bill I introduced was an amendment to the Constitution to institute term limits among members of Congress, just like we have for the president. I, I wasn't always a term limits guy. I always felt that every voter should have the right to vote for. But then it, the more I studied how it works, the more you realize that every election is not a level playing field. The incumbents have an immense advantage, yeah. so it's not fair. Look, we know things. The data tells us that the longer any politician is there, the more likely they are to be corrupt, uh, the more likely they are to grow government, um, and the like, more likely they are to spend more of our money and, and, and become different from the people they represent. So I, I, I think it's not going to happen because the Supreme Court, you'd have to amend the Constitution. I don't think we're ever going to get there. So I think the solution now is electing people who will self-limit. And I've always encouraged voters the last eight or nine years, don't vote for anybody who says they're going to go to Washington or Concord or anywhere for more than six or eight years. If they can't tell you how long they want to serve, like I only want to be there, for, th then walk away. I think we have to vote for people who will self-limit. I think it makes a real difference. It's what our founders envisioned. Yeah. yeah. Citizen legislators. Right. And that's, it's interesting because that's, you talked about New Hampshire and New Hampshire is the third largest democratic body in the world, I think, behind, I didn't realize that behind U.S. Year. and yeah. Britain. 
and us maybe india might I, i'm not sure i would have to look yeah. at india but we we were third at one point so and and they get paid uh a hundred bucks a year i think is still the the going rate and the governor doesn't make that much money it's kind of cool it's yeah. pretty difficult to go grocery shopping and not bump into either a senator or a uh it's pretty House cool representative yeah. member yeah yeah. Do, but there are not term limits. Are there term no, limits? No, there's no term in limits. New Hampshire. So we have 420, 400 members of the House and 24 senators. So it's Gosh. the senators are, <laughs> yeah. And I think we have the oldest, this is a fun historical fact. I think it's the where the House sits is the oldest uh, in the country. Wow. So it's a neat space. I know you have to sign papers there yeah. to, to make the race, but it might be fun to, Check some of that out. Look, I, 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 having been there, having been in Congress, I was there for a very short time, yeah. period of time. I self-limited myself. I said I would never serve more than six years. I would have liked to have served <laughs> six years. Um, you could easily tell the guys who were there for a long time. Yeah. And, and it, there was just sort of an arrogance and a, a distance from the people they represented. Yeah. It just didn't feel right. Right. Yeah. So... You're looking to, to change all these different dynamics. Can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, Joe Walsh's history? I know you went to college in, in Iowa, in Grinnell at first. Yeah, and, first. and then to U Iowa with an English degree. Uh, I know you have a big family. Uh, I watched a little bit. I thought it was a really nice interview you had on C-SPAN. Oh, that was fun. That yeah. was a, uh, he seemed like a genuine, yeah. good Steve human Scully, being. Good yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in your background. I think our listeners would love to know more of your, you know, what, what led you to this moment in time, your love of history, all yeah. those different things. I'm a, uh, I'm, I've always been a Republican do-gooder. I've always been libertarian and conservative in my politics. Live free or die, baby. Leave me alone. But then I've always lived the life of service. I was a teacher and a social worker primarily. Yeah, right. You're a social um, worker. Tell us about that. And uh, I, I spent a lot of time on Chicago's south side um, in tough neighborhoods, helping low-income black, Hispanic, and white kids um, get educational opportunity and, and, and find jobs. Um, I went to graduate school at the University of Chicago. I got a degree in urban poverty because I've always been obsessed with this idea of why we have such concentrated poverty in our big cities. Um, but it's always been consistent with, with, with my philosophy. I believe it's up to us individually and privately to help those less fortunate. I don't always want to look toward the hand of government to take care of people. I think that's got to come from our charities and our churches and our businesses. Um, so I, I, I come from a big Midwest Irish Catholic family, nine kids, seven boys, um, I've always been interested in politics. I taught American government. I taught American history. Um, did I ever think I'd run for Congress or run? Never thought I'd run for president. Never thought Trump would get elected. Um, man! Uh, but, but like so many of, of the people I got elected with in 2010, um, we'd never run before. You had a lot of doctors and nurses and, and business people who went to Washington in 2010 because we were genuinely, I'll speak for myself, I was really pissed off at both political parties for putting future generations in such debt. Um, so I ran for Congress in 2010. Uh, uh, I think 62 Republicans were elected that year. 
Only one Republican was elected that year who didn't get a dime from the Republican Party. That was me. Yeah, you you ran a race where <laughs> nobody put any money. Into nobody gave me any money. Yeah. Nobody thought I'd win. Nobody wanted uh, the Republican Party. John Boehner and the rest didn't want me to win. Um, I won by 291 votes. Um, and I went there just to, and I, I only stayed two years because uh, redistricting came after that. The Democrats control Illinois, so they drew me out of a district. I found myself on the radio the last six or seven years preaching about these issues in the country. Um, look, when Trump got elected, I voted for him. I didn't love him. I didn't like him. He blocked me on Twitter during that campaign because I criticized him. He wasn't Hillary. A lot of Trump's voters yeah. did that. But it became clear to me uh, in, 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 in a nanosecond after he won that he just can't tell the truth. Uh, I'm, I'm always fearful of a government uh, that will oppress me and lie to me. And here we have a president who lies almost every time he opens his mouth. I couldn't live with that. And then the final straw was in Helsinki last summer, summer of 2018, when Trump stood in front of the world next to Putin and said, I believe Putin and not my own people. I remember I was watching that on TV. I've got dogs, three dogs. I want a fourth. I love dogs. Um, I was tweeting. And when Trump said that, I stood up. I started yelling. The dogs went to the other side of the room. I couldn't believe that a president of the United States committed such an act of disloyalty. I think Trump's a traitor. So from that moment on, I became very Trump critical, which is a tough place to be in conservative yeah. talk radio. Uh, all this past year, and I'm getting to the end of it, guys, no. this whole past year, I had been pleading with the Republican to step up and challenge him because I think he's unfit. No Republican would step up. I wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, I think in early August, making the case he's unfit. Please, Republican, somebody better than Joe Walsh, step up. Mitt Romney, where are you? Nobody did. So I threw my hat in the rain because I think somebody needed to. And boy, I'll tell you what, don't ever run for president, guys. What a tough, tough thing it is. Yeah, what's it been like uh, in terms of, you know, uh, taking on a sitting president who, uh, at least with a certain segment of the population, is enormously popular? <laughs> and, 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 you're, and you're trying to reach those folks. Yeah. I can imagine there's been a lot of, uh, it's been hard, I would imagine. Well, here's what's cool. So it's hard, and the party bosses in Trump are doing everything they can to get rid of me. Yeah. They've literally canceled elections in nine states. Right. Think about that. This isn't Russia. This isn't North Korea. We've canceled elections, primary elections in nine states. They're making it hard in every other state. But here's what's cool. I'm in New Hampshire, and I'll be in Iowa a lot next week. When I talk to just Republican voters on the ground... And I know what the polls say, but it's easily 70 to 80% of the Republican voters I talk to say a variation of the following. Hey, Joe, I, I like some of the things he's done, but man, I'm tired of the bull. I, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted of Trump. And, the, and these are Republicans. They say, I can't imagine going through four years of this. And then they always say, but Bernie's a socialist or Elizabeth's a socialist. So what am I going to do, Joe? So I think there's an opportunity there to say, I'm sick of the Trump soap opera too. Here I am. But it takes money. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. No doubt about it. I think money does play a big part in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you want to be known and 
right? Uh, well, not enough people know of me yet. Yeah, and we also unfortunately judge the value of a candidate based on how much money they can raise. Good point. Whether or not their message is something we agree with or not, the more money you have, the more face time you get, the longer your campaign's going to last. How much fun would it be to have Mike Bloomberg's money? Oh, baby! <laughs> Yo, <yeah. How> much- <laughs> Yeah, he just put out like sixty million in yeah, it's, ads. It's an unbelievable like already. Thing. Yeah, um, yeah. That's just kind of yeah crazy. But the neat thing about New Hampshire, and I know I was bigger, but it's the same idea. Yes, that you can shake you can shake a lot of hands and and meet some people and and go to you know ham and bean suppers and and uh, you know McCain certainly in two thousand you know set the standard for holding town halls. And uh, and really beat Bush pretty handedly in New Hampshire based on that kind of you know civic discourse processing. So I hope that you get you know more of an opportunity. It's kind of cool. I come from Illinois. We don't expect to ever meet a presidential candidate in New Hampshire and Iowa. They expect to meet face to face. That's kind of cool. Who is who is your historical hero? Like you. You know, your mother was a historian in her own front, uh, her own life, reading constantly. We had a fight, though. You know? My mom and, my mom yeah, and I, until, until, uh, until her death, <laughs> and she's looking down on me right now. Mom, I love you. Uh, she was a huge John Adams guy. Yeah. And I have always been in love with Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Um, and so we would fight about those two. Uh, I, I, I was much more of a Jeffersonian, a, a, a classical liberal, a limited government founding father. Um, I came of age with Reagan. Reagan got elected when I went off to college. Uh, there's, Reagan was probably the last public figure that I really felt an emotional connection to. I loved, if here's an old blast from the past, Barry Goldwater. Yeah. I, I, I adored Barry Goldwater. Um, it's interesting, though, and your your guys' thoughts on this? I haven't. I mean, I haven't had a political figure in America since then that I've felt like that connection with. I know a lot of people on the other side did with Obama. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I haven't. I haven't felt that since I was a young man. I, I. I and part of the cynicism of the day we live in now is you don't hear and feel people having real uh, interest in yeah. uh, their politics and even people who run. It's like looked down upon. I, I can remember you know, my father bringing me early in life to, um, my father was a professor at the university that I'm at yeah. uh, for a long time, 46 years. And, uh, you know, I got to see everybody. I remember cool. meeting George Bush yeah. uh, Sr., uh, Bob Dole, when I was a kid, many times because he ran uh, many times, uh, many different times for president. <laughs> yeah. I remember having a heated discussion with Pat Buchanan oh, uh, at Chase Street Market uh, in, <laughs> over uh, over I think AIDS, and he had he yeah. classified it as a, a homosexual, a militant homosexual problem. I said, "There's a lot of women that are that are suffering from this too, Pat." But but I actually appreciate it. He wanted to go at it with me, you know, like he That's didn't, what, yeah. you know. I, and so that was, you know, a lot of fun. But to answer your question, I I like uh, I really appreciated uh, on the uh, Republican end uh, Warren Rudman, who was yeah, a senator yeah. 
from New Hampshire. Big balance budget guy. Big balance budget yeah. guy. Um, you know, real truth teller. And he didn't he didn't stay in the game forever. He served two terms. He left. And I loved as as well. I loved Mario Cuomo in New York. I oh, really, really thought I really yeah. thought he was a uh, an honest person. I, I don't think his son is is of the same uh, game as his dad. But I, I I saw him as someone who reached across, who'd made relationships with Jack Kemp and and tried to do the right thing. Part of part of the problem is, and again, look, Trump is just a demagogue. And he doesn't believe anything he says. But Trump got elected because I think people on both sides have grown, this is part of why I voted for him, just sick of typical politician talk. And, and they all sound like politicians and they all sound like what we call elites. I mean, think about it. Uh, four years, three years ago, I mean, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump back in 2016 were the two most popular politicians back then. Mm -hmm. You talk about non-establishment people. Um, I think there's a yearning for that. There right. is a yearning for straight talk. There's a yearning for honesty. There's a yearning for a candidate not to sound like every word out of their mouth has been poll tested. Right. Now, that's not Trump. Now, and, and, But the problem is Trump's Trump's just a pathological liar. But I can tell you, the people who voted for Trump have listened to me. On, they listened to me on the radio, and they voted for me. This is what they love about him, is that he is just this punch. He is payback against a political class that I believe has grown, on both sides, out of touch. Yeah. Um, now, it's a shame that most of his supporters can't then take the next step and say that this guy's corrupt and he's not honest with you either. It's just because he's Donald Trump, he sounds different. Right. But there's a yearning for politicians who don't sound like, who aren't afraid to just say what they feel, right. what they believe. Well, and how many Clintons and Bushes can you have as presidents before it starts becoming a dynasty, right? I mean, so Trump was an option that was neither of the above. Exactly. And it, what's interesting is, to your point, I think Bernie might have beaten him. I think it would have been interesting. I mean, nobody liked Hillary. She was the antithesis of, I want something new. Um, Bernie might have given him an interesting run well, back in 16. Well, I think it's quite possible. I mean, they looked at, at the election interference and a lot of people that would have voted for Bernie as young Democrats ended up not going out at all. And so they stayed at home. They did. Exactly. Yeah, I think the, the idea was that that primary was rigged. I mean, was he the oh, one yeah. that said that? Yeah. Well, well and, that, and the whole process, the whole and it was, democratic process. It was, it was rigged to make sure she won. And Trump railed against that. Right. And that's what's so fascinating now is Trump is doing the same damn thing now right. by canceling these primaries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I saw a lot of young voters who were very disappointed when they found out just how rigged the process was for the Democratic Party. And I said, oh, so you're involved with the Democratic Party? And they'd say no. And I'd say, well, then you have no business saying anything about it. If you don't like it, become a card-carrying Democrat, go into the office, and start making the changes you want to see. Yeah. Don't let it filter out until you're passive with it. You know, uh, and we saw the elections in the United Kingdom yesterday, uh, and the Labor Party. And and again, he was a uh, he was a 
in my opinion, a very flawed candidate. So I don't think we should read too much into that over here. Um, but when you look at the results over there, by two to one, young people voted for Corbyn. Mm-hmm. I mean, young people overwhelmingly voted left. And it's the same thing here. They're looking for someone authentic on the left. It's a challenge for my party because I, the Republican Party will die if we can't attract young people. Right. Yeah. We are dying because of that. Yeah. Bunch of old white guys. Yeah, no, I think, um, well, I, I don't think. I don't think Donald Trump is doing the Republican Party in the long run any favors. Oh, okay, he's killing it. You know, I think that it's really leaving the party very, very, you know, mar- it'll leave it very marginalized because it's really not the, the principles I think that you value have been kind of thrown out the window. So that we're, you know, the concern for debt, uh, you know, the concern for, you know, protection, uh, valuing NATO, some of those things that, that have been historically a part of what it means to be a bedrock well, and, 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 and look, because of Trump, Republicans have lost young people. Because of Trump, we've lost women. Because of Trump, we've lost people of color. And I can tell you, living in the suburbs of Chicago, because of Donald Trump, Republicans have lost suburban voters. And I think a big part of it is, and it's driven by women. Thank God for women. I love women. I think women should run the world. Women get how cruel he is. I think that more than anything. I'm a big that uh, we got to secure our borders. If you want to come to America and you come here legally, God bless you. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what creed you are. I don't care where you come from. We welcome you. Um, Donald Trump took that because he's a demagogue and he turned it into, we only want white people here. And and people who, too many people close to Trump believe that. That's anti-American, but it's also cruel. And I think Trump's cruelty has really damaged the Republican brand. Yeah, I think that's very insightful. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that with that statement. So how do we move away from the cruelty? How do we help people <laughs> see that um, cruelty is really going to be the demise? I, I, I mean, I personally think that if we keep going in the cruel direction, as I kind of started the show and talking to you about some of the things that we've talked about in the past that, um, you know, we are, what, I, what I've described in the past is that we're reducing ourselves to tribes. Oh, we, and, we're there, and, we're there. And, and, and tribes are at war with each other historically. And what made kind of America special is that we transcended our ethnocentric background into a greater principle of what it means to be a united state. And so we weren't just... You know, that's why we got rid of the Articles of Confederation and, and, and created a true constitution that brought us all together as a people and had things like the 14th Amendment that, you know, no matter who you are, you are going to be treated as an equal citizen when it comes to being an American. And, and it feels like we are regressing. And, and, and that I'm really, really scared and worried about, about my children, I know you have five children, I believe. You three, three second children. marriage, drafted a couple more. So drafted five more, right? Together. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know how much you love them too, right? You know, so, um, so yeah, I'm worried about Well, it's, that. I, I love this issue because I think our problems are long, they've been long time coming, and then there's Trump. Um, Trump has, has taken our, our long time buildup to tribalism 
and just accelerated it. And here's the proof. I know that damn near every one of my former Republican colleagues in Congress believe privately what I say about Trump publicly. And they're afraid to say it publicly. And the reason they're afraid to say it publicly is because my tribe's got to win. I know, Trump, I know Trump's an ass. I, I, I know he's a moron. I hope he loses. They'll say all those things privately, but I, 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 I can't let the Democrats win. It's about my tribe's got to win. Um, so that's, that's the short-term Trump problem. But then when you look at the history of the country, um, we, we, we are genuinely divided on some big, important issues. I don't think we should run away from those that, that divide. Uh, I, you take somebody in the middle of Texas, baby, out on a big old ranch, and you put that person with somebody who lives in the middle of San Francisco, and you put those two at a coffee shop, they're not going to have a lot in common. Uh, I think you could argue that. It's an interesting discussion. Have we grown so big and so diverse, the country, that we no longer have a consensus on our founding principles? I think that's up for debate. Mm. I think our bias should be, let's try to unite us all. Right. But these are real, real serious divisions. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I... I mean, I think you're right in the sense that it would be difficult to have folks sit down to have that level of a conversation. I think it's absolutely necessary, and it's got to be—it's got to happen. But it's—it's got to be started by saying, "I know across from me, even though I see the world from a different center of gravity than you, you know that 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 there's something here that you have to offer about your experience, and that." You know, what led you to this moment in time of making the decisions as a rancher in the middle of Texas that values this over that? And what led me to my more maybe more yeah. progressive viewpoints? But we've got to be able to to to, I think, set an example. Maybe, you know, this is maybe where your campaign is going to help us the most is well. setting that example that I'm willing to listen to. You. I'm <laughs> willing to sit with Elizabeth Warren and work this out. So it's so it's funny you say that um, because look, can we all agree we just got to get rid of Trump because he's he's making things just way way worse, and and then begin to heal and, and unify. I describe myself as as a reformed outlaw, politically, because when you t ask most people about Joe Walsh, especially before I announced I'm running against Trump. Most people would say, that SOB, that crazy Tea Party guy who said horrible things about Obama or whatever, rah! Um, you're right. I, I was an outlaw. I, I was part of the ugliness that got us here. No, In fact, I was one of the loudest part uh, outlaws uh, on my side these last eight to ten years. But I'm a reformed outlaw because I've seen the light. Maybe, and, and it's not just me, but maybe it'll take people like me who've been down, who've been on the battlefield for eight years to pull up and say, stop, this, we, got, we got to do something different. It's going to take a lot more of, of us who've been in the battle um, and, and kind of seen the light to begin to heal the country. I think you're, I, I, I appreciate everything you're saying and I, and I really kind of, you're leading me to the conclusion that it is going to take people that have seen the light in the way yeah. of not demonizing other human beings for their positions and uh, yeah. approaches to politics. And that 
the folks that have, you know, because it's 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 equal on the left too. You know, we've been talking about, you know, some conservative talk radio, but you know, in that original program that you and I did when we were talking about the divide, I had brought up, you know, Hillary Clinton's comment about a basket of deplorables. Yeah. And, you know, there are people in the state of New Hampshire or around the nation that, you know, proud, proud member, you know, on their bumper sticker for the basket of deplorables. And, you know, we cannot do that to any part of the population that those are, you know, no matter what she might think of, of this and that, there are reasons that led them to make decisions about where they're at in the universe and, and what's the best way to go about you know, living our lives. And we got to listen. We got to talk about that. We got to see where uh, it makes sense and, and maybe in ways where it doesn't or where we can improve on that, you know, approach. So I, I, I would hope that there are some people on the left um, that are equal, are. Are. that are that are willing to oh, reform. Amen, amen, amen. My brother, I can tell you, you follow me on Twitter. I've got so, so many people on the left who've become brothers and sisters of mine, even though we don't agree on a damn issue over the course of the last two to three years. Yeah. It's happening. here Again, the beauty of Trump is he's such a bad reaction. He's so bad that he's really woken people up yeah. on both sides, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I, it, it certainly feels that way, and I'm glad to hear that you're, you're, you're seeing that. In fact, it's interesting. I... I've been recent to the Twitter world, but I had a good friend of mine who's, I would say, a conservative Democrat. Mm -hmm. um, actually, wanted to be here today uh, to meet you, um, but he couldn't. Uh, but he, 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 we, we uh, text a lot, and he's like, "You got to start to see this guy, Joe Walsh." Mm -hmm. And and I had not heard of you, uh, and until then, and then I started reading your tweets. And I'm like, wow, like this guy has got some cojones. Like he is, uh, he is, he is saying things that, um, you know, that I think a lot of Republicans maybe feel in private, but not many are saying out loud mm -hmm. and, you know, putting yourself out there in a way that, um, you know, uh, that you'll be ostracized and kind of thrown out of the tribe per se, but you, you continue to put it out there on a day-to-day -day -day basis. basis. I'm and, out of that uh, tribe, I can tell you that. Yeah, and so I, I just admire that. I just want to let you know I Thank admire you. your courage and uh, for willing to, to evolve and grow and to um, put it out there. And uh, not, not really, nobody's doing it like you are. So I just, Thank you. you deserve a platform to be heard. Life's short. We all love this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you said, uh, so why, why Jefferson? You, you love Jefferson. Tell me more. Well, and again, I don't want to get too... Uh, but I, I, I enjoy <laughs> this. Too. I know you do. <laughs> and you talked about the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution. Jefferson, you will recall, you know, pushed back against the Constitution. Yes, there were anti-federalists back then who he didn't write it. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, I would have been in that camp because I I so and I, look, I appreciate the Constitution and it is the greatest uh, working document in the world. But uh, truth be told, if I were around then, I would have pushed back against it because I so feared a central government. 
yeah. a big central government. And I so revere federalism and New Hampshire being able to do what New Hampshire wants to do and Iowa being able to do what Iowa wants to do. And when you fast forward 240 some years, I think a lot of our founders would, like Jefferson, would be really worried about how big DC has gotten. That's yeah. just my own take. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I, I get concerned about, uh, you know, when I think about DC, I just don't think about like the, the Congress folks, but I think about the lobbyists oh. in, in the, in the oh. major influence uh, on, on, uh, on, on our policy and our decision-making where you are so, <laughs> as you described, people are, you know, I need the money to run for the next election. And so where am I gonna get that money from? which is from these big companies. And so I am not really free to make the wisest decision in favor of my constituents and or community and or nation. I've got to make these decisions based on my political. Uh, it sucks. Know. It yeah. sucks. It sucks. When you're in D.C., <laughs> when you're in Congress, lobbyists are pulling at your coat every minute. The average congressman spends 70% of his time dialing for dollars. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. I mean, that, that doesn't. how does that lead us? to make better decisions on behalf of our country. Well, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, they're not doing their job. Yeah. Now, now, but then when you get into, okay, how do you fix that? That's where we, you and I might disagree, but we'd find some common ground. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I threw out term limits. I'm not necessarily sure that I'm for it or against it, but I think we need to have a discussion about how do we, how do we have true civil discourse about the right way to deal with Guns, climate, exactly. all of it. Exactly. Well, I, I definitely think that, you know, one of the ways we could start fixing the problem is to put a drastic cut back on the amount of time spent campaigning. You know, having uh, yeah. worked for television news in New Hampshire during the last uh, presidential cycle, election cycle, it just absolutely boggled my mind almost how much fun these folks were having who were running. Oh. And I know it's grueling, and I understand that, but when you're going for six or nine months, it's got to be a hell of a lot more exciting than trying to make laws on the floor of Congress. And if we shorten that time down, then the amount of money needed for campaigning would shorten, and possibly um, people who are attracted to that sort of jet-setting lifestyle of flying around the country and, and trying to get the votes that they need, that might tamp down as well. But who knows? That's no, I think, I think, look, I think you're right. Money's a problem. We spend way too much time campaigning. Uh, the minute the 2020 election is over, people will start running for president in 2024. Um, but then when you look at the, the, the issue of money, it, again, it's, it's when you get into the potential solutions where... It gets difficult. I'm not a wealthy guy. So when I, <laughs> running now, and when I ran back then, I had to raise money because I couldn't write my own check. So I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm a middle class guy who tried to go to Congress, and the only way I could go to Congress was to dial for dollars, mm -hmm. whereas a wealthy guy could just write him, himself a check. So how do you stop me from spending so much time raising money? Well, we got these limits, like nobody can give me more than 2,800 bucks, you know, to run for federal office. Okay, what if you got rid of that federal limit? Ian, what if you could write me a million dollar check? 
for president. I wouldn't have to spend so much time raising money. Sure. But then a lot of people on the left would say, oh, you're just buying access. So it, 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 when we get into these solutions, money is a problem. Is it a problem that Bloomberg and what's his name, Steyer can just write checks? It kind of bugs me, but it's a free country. But how are you going to stop that? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know what the, you know, the the clear answer on this. Uh, issue what if is. this was the answer? Yeah. What if you got rid of the limits? Like right now, when you run for federal office, there's a twenty-eight hundred dollar limit. Yeah. So you got to like raise a thousand, two thousand dollars at a time. And congressmen are always on the phone for five hundred dollars. If you got rid of the limits and you had full and instant disclosure, so I'm a big gun guy and I'm running for Congress and say the NRA wants to give me a million dollars. Well, if you made that instantly disclosed to all the voters, if voters have a problem with the NRA giving me so much money, then don't vote for Joe Walsh. That's one solution yeah. is to get rid of limits, but full instant disclosure. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the, uh, the cute memes going around the internet with, with congressmen in jumpsuits with all the patches on their sponsors. I personally think that's a great idea, <laughs> you know? It's not a bad idea. <laughs> and if voters have a problem, yeah. Then yeah. Well, I, I, what I appreciate about the idea is, is, the, is the push for transparency. Got to have it. You know? Got to have it. The, yeah. we, we need to be um, radically transparent. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not, I don't think we're, we're close to that. But anything that can push us in that direction... And, you know, in, in, in a lot of what you're saying, again, and probably I sense the reason why you're running is, is because, as you've said, we've got someone who's lying a lot about things. And that's the opposite of being radically transparent. And, and that's a real problem. You, uh, and again, I, I love having this discussion with Republican voters if you can't believe a word that comes out of your president's mouth, I don't care what your politics are. That's a real problem. Yeah. When you believe the, the head of Iran or the, the Soviet foreign minister was in the White House a couple days ago, and did they talk about, did Trump say, don't interfere with our elections? And, and the Russians said it didn't come up, and Trump said he brought it up. And I think most people probably believe the Russian foreign minister. That's a problem when you can't believe the President of the United States' word. Um, that's a big, big problem. You're here. Oh, that, that, Ian, Ian, that probably more than anything bothers me about this guy. Uh, and I confess, and, and you can slap me upside the head, well, why didn't you see that? Why'd you vote for him? I, I confess, I, I never paid attention to Trump back in the 80s and the 90s. I, I didn't know what a goof he was. Um, I wish I had. Because I think he's been kind of a con man his whole life. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's 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 kind of wild to think that we're here at this point. I, I don't think I would ever have predicted it. Um, I know I wouldn't have predicted it, but uh, we are here, and there's things that we got to do yeah. to kind of make a difference. And I. And I appreciate the fact that you're running for office as president for president of the United States to kind of make that difference, to kind of be an alternative voice uh, and have, uh, you know, learned some lessons along the way in your life. And, 
So I, I appreciate your courage, Ian. Anything else you want to? No, I, I just have to agree. You know, I, I enjoyed the conversation with you very it's much. Fun, I am uh, really appreciating that you are um, stepping up there and opposing the current president um, and running against him. I think that he needs to be challenged from both sides. From both sides. I think it's important. I think, because uh, here's the thing. Uh, look, win or lose, Trump's not going away. I think if he loses in 2020, I think he's still going to cause trouble. Um I, I, I'm, I'm running because I worry for the country, but I'm running because I'm concerned for my Republican Party, because this isn't the Republican Party I believed in. Um, and and I, it's not a cruel party, and it's not a mean party, but right now he's the face of it. And we're, as we talked about, we're losing young people and women because we seem intolerant, and it I'm a Republican because I always wanted people to live their lives and, and do their thing and everybody stay out of each other's business. We've gotten away from that. This has been a lot of fun, guys. Thank you. Thanks. The website, by the way, is joewalsh.org. Yeah, anything you want no, to share? No, just got to make that plug. No. Sure? Yeah, no. Nothing no, no. else you want to no. share? No. If you're interested uh, in, a, in, an, in a Republican who wants to beat the incumbent and try to help begin to unify the country, go to joewalsh.org. You guys are good. Um, thank you, Joe. One thing that people should know, at least from uh, that live in New Hampshire that listen to the program, that as an independent, you are eligible to vote in either the Democratic right. or Republican Party. So uh, don't be afraid to reach out to yes. your independent, yes. uh, like-minded voters as well. So, Thanks, guys. Appreciate thank it. You so, so much. Yeah, we're recording this on the 13th for our listeners, um, but we're hoping to put it out by Monday. So this is Friday. So 16th, we're hoping to get this out and on the air. Um, are there any events, any rallies, anything you're going to be doing over the next week past that, either here in New Hampshire or elsewhere, if people want to come and hear you speak, um, that they can come find you? Yes. Go to the website. Thank you. All right, go to the website. I, I can be taught so easily. <laughs> JoeWalsh.org. It's constantly updated. I'm basically, I hop from Iowa to New Hampshire, Iowa to New Hampshire. JoeWalsh.org. We'll be around a bunch. And awesome. because and because Twitter is becoming such a huge factor in politics <laughs> today, what's your handle? I, I don't push that enough. At Walsh Freedom. At Walsh Freedom. It's a lot of fun. Do you guys both tweet? I don't. I you mean, need I, to tweet. I, I, it's a I'm lot on the of fun. outskirts. I'm more of a tw Twitter Get stalker. At Walsh Freedom. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, right, guys. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Wicked Discussions is recorded at Jacob's Lane Studio. We'd like to thank Jesse Answer for our artwork. Recording, editing, and theme song are all done by me. You can email the show at wickeddiscussions at gmail.com. Or please visit our Facebook page and join in the discussion. If you like what you've heard so far, please give us a rating on iTunes or like us on SoundCloud. All the materials produced here are the copyright of Mark Fishler and Ian Halter. Until the next show, keep listening to each other.